Hello, this is Reputation Talk, the bite-sized podcast on communications, decision-making, behavior, conflict, resilience, courage, reputation, and crisis. This is Michael Toby. Today, some insights from the recent Red Diamonds newsletter, which was published on Medium on April 16th. You can also find that published on LinkedIn every week. I was very curious about this question, and so I did some research with some experts, and here's the question. Why do individuals or organizations, intelligent and successful, resist learning when it's beneficial to them to do so and at times critical? So some of the experts and their feedback that they gave me I thought might be useful to you is if you're a leader, if you're just wondering about yourself. Randall P. White, a founding partner of the Executive Development Group, said people typically prefer to do things as they always have. It's comfortable. It's safe. It's easy to push the autopilot button and still get good results. When you try to do something new, you increase the likelihood of making a mistake, looking bad, or even failing. So have it. You know, that's one reason that we do it, and it, it's simple. It feels good. It's our comfort zone, right? Margaret J. King, Ph.D., the director of the Center for Cultural Studies and Analysis, said, Unless the learning is directly applicable to the learner's values and goals, it is seen as an obstacle to doing other things. We don't mind change itself. We just don't want change forced upon us. Well, the latter part of that is very true, isn't it? We want that autonomy. We don't want people telling us that we have to do anything. It just doesn't feel good, and I think it's just very natural a lot of times to resist that, um, whether that's consciously or subconsciously, or at least we hesitate if we don't resist it. But what she also said, unless the learning is directly applicable to our values and our goals, we're going to probably you know, hesitate at least. Roxanne Derhage of Roxanne Derhage Consulting said, we generally do not like change, especially when we're not part of the change process. That means we want to have a say in the way the change is going to go and what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. So once again, I think that goes back to autonomy. So she says also that when people are resistant or maybe negative to change, it's not just a poor attitude. She went on to tell me that when under stress, most individuals go into the mode of flight, fight, or freeze. It is something that is automatic, she says. The logical, functional part of the brain shuts down when we're triggered, and then adrenaline cortisol, a stress hormone, pumps through our body and makes us react to keep us safe. So it's, it's a very biological sort of um, reaction. Harrison Barnes, the founder of BCG Attorney Search, writes, quote, when the ego becomes too forceful, learning ceases. I think we would all agree upon that. It becomes more important to be right than to learn, he says. So ego feels good to us. Um, it's our comfort zone. It's our identity. And it protects us in a way, yet it comes at a big cost. You know, Barnes went on to say that the ego makes us self-centered. No argument there, right? Which often leads to a failure of intelligence. Ouch. That was uh, illuminating, right? Uh, ego, when it gets too big, it becomes um, a problem. It leads to a failure of intelligence. Instead of doing things for the correct reasons, you may do something just to prove you're right. And you will do this even if you know the decision you're making may mean a loss to you, for example, a financial loss. And I think a lot of times we'll do this and we don't even care about the collateral damage. It can cause problems for other people, all for simply trying to prove you're right. So that was very insightful. I don't know about you, uh, but to me that was uh, very eye-opening. 
Tom Henschel, the CEO and principal consultant of Essential Communications, said that Sheila Heen and Douglas Stone write beautifully about this and thanks for the feedback. They cite three core resistance factors. One, truth. I hear your assistance and I feel it is wrong. Two, trust. Our relationship doesn't allow me to believe that you have my best interest at heart. Three, identity. Some part of your assistance threatens some part of how I see myself. And isn't that true? You know, we disagree with someone's assessment of us or the relationship you have with the person who wants that additional learning to come your way. You don't believe that they have your best interest at heart. And three, identity. You know, you're trying to maybe lead me to greater learning, but I don't really see myself that way. I had someone reach out to me maybe about a month ago, and she was going to be invited into this meeting at work, and she was very stressed about that. She says that they wanted her to have some coaching, and she took it as an offense. And I tried to communicate with her with understanding, of course, that a lot of times organizations will only invest in the people that they see as having great value and they want to elevate them. And a lot of people do want that coaching and don't get it. But she saw it as um, an insult and she didn't see herself that way and she needed to maybe possibly consider reframing it as a positive. But she obviously didn't have trust with the relationship there and she didn't see herself as needing any sort of assistance. So um, we never spoke again. So you know how she felt. Uh, White goes on to say that psychological safety models characteristics that say learning is encouraged and rewarded, rewarding. And I think a lot of times we take a look at someone as suggesting additional learning. It's like, what's wrong with me? Why, why do you think I need that? But what White is saying is if we give people psychological safety, we can say, hey, you know what? This is something that's going to be beneficial and it's going to reward maybe on the macro level the organization, and it also be rewarding to you. If we can create that and however that is done can be different for different people and organizations, it creates receptiveness and motivation, if not inspiration. He goes on to say it's okay to fail. You know, When we fail, we fail forward and we fail fast. Um, we're able to skip steps on our next attempt so we can do it more quickly, failing fast to get a better result, a product, a good, a service, and an outcome. I think that also helps us individually too. It's like, okay, if I make a mistake before, I had a blind spot and I didn't know what I didn't know, but now I can move past that quickly because I recognize it and I've learned a new way of viewing things, interpreting things, problem-solving things, and I have new skills. Uh, Dostoevsky, the author of Crime and Punishment, said, and I love this quote. I just learned it recently. It takes something more than intelligence to act intelligently. And a lot of times I think that very intelligent, successful people believe that everything that they're doing is intelligent, but it's not. And it takes a lot more than that. I think it takes poise, intellectual humility, uh, you know, character, receptiveness, and realizing that in the big picture of things, it's like I can't know everything. And if I'm going to be um, my best, if I'm going to receive the most benefits not only for myself but the people around me, I have to act intelligently. I have to realize that I don't know everything and I have to be open-minded and I have to be a lifelong learner. Dare Hodge went on to say in talking about 
assessing intrinsic motivation. What is required for change, she asked. Here's some questions she mentioned that we should be asking ourselves. What is required for change? What are my concerns with change? I think that gets to the heart of the matter if we're honest with ourselves. And what am I afraid of? Excellent. How this proves beneficial, she has found, is it self-educates and it illuminates the whys behind the struggles that you might be having as an individual or an organization. And it provides what could prove to be the key to unlocking the motivation to learn. I found that you know very helpful. And then finally, she says, within the internal introspective space, individuals can develop the tools to deal with ineffective behavior, and I'd say organizations too, that may be impeding new skill development, and then I would say benefits. You know, it impedes not only new skill development, but the benefits that come from the outcomes. This has been Reputation Talk. I want to thank you for listening. Hopefully, this was helpful to some degree to you. Write me at reputationtalkpodcast at gmail.com if you have any comments or questions. I'm Michael Toby. I appreciate you. Have a good week.